Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Shop Volume. I'm Nick Ashbourne with Anthony Petrielli. Anthony, I think we've tried to, to avoid being a how does this affect the Leafs type of show, always dangerous, but it is time for us to have our how does this affect the Leafs moment. The Leafs are actually it a pretty fast, fascinating team right now. This is a club that if you look at just the raw points that are on an 102.5 point pace, which would be like slightly disappointing, but you know, not disastrous by any means. At the same time, this is a group that's been outshot at 5-on-5, outscored at 5-on-5, doesn't have much of a goal differential, has won only five games in regulation through over a quarter of the season. Where do you stand with, I don't know, kind of the basic question of like, how good is this group right now? There's two, obviously, there's two ways this can go. It's like last year through 20 games, they were... 10 or they're 10, six and four. And this year they're 11, six and three. So they've actually started slightly better than they have in previous years, at least points wise. Although to your point, there might be some underlying issues uh, that are maybe pointing towards a bit of a lesser direction. At the same time, they're still on pace for a hundred plus points, uh, which isn't nothing. And the reality is, I mean, this is a team that's getting by and large judged by what they do in the playoffs. So provided they make the playoffs, like which I think they're still very comfortably going to do, nothing else really matters. I mean, they could hit 130 points and like no one in Toronto is going to care, right? It's it's all about what have you done for me in the playoffs. Now, what I will say on the glass half full side would be they're collecting these points and lately they've been actually by and large doing it in spite of their top two players. Like Matthews and Marner are legitimately struggling right now. Like they are like that, that line should be carrying the mail. They pair them together to really set the tone and drive play for everything that they do. I think Marner hasn't scored in, in eight games at this point. I think Matthews has points in like two of his last seven. And, you know, beyond that, like they're like actively getting outplayed to the point where like, they're not getting split up to like shake up the team. They're getting split up because it's not working. You know, the their second line with Nylander and Bertuzzi and Tavares was awesome. Like they, they were the team's best line for the past month. Um, and, you know, the only reason they're getting split up is to facilitate how bad the de facto top line has been. So in saying that, do you think Matthews and Marner are just going through a bit of a rough stretch 
some 20 games into the season early on hockey, et cetera, et cetera? Or do you think they're like actually bad hockey players? Because if they're, if they're good and they're going to end up turning it around and playing like the players, they essentially have been for five plus years running each, then I mean, the team picking up points in spite of that, while they've, you know, fielded injuries on defense and their top two guys are not playing well, really doesn't leave them in a bad spot. No, theoretically, no. I think the defensive injuries are, are a huge deal, right? Like, yes, the Matthews and Marner component, you believe in that talent. You believe they're going to bounce back. And to be honest, you kind of believe they're going to bounce back together. Like, they are sort of the perfect fit for each other on the line, the way they're defensively responsible, the way that Marner is always looking for the pass and Matthews at his core is looking for the shot. Like, they work extremely well as line mates. That They're probably going to come back together and have a great deal of success at some point. The defense is where things are a little bit dicey, especially with Giordano going out. We don't know exactly what his timeline looks like. You know, the Maple Leafs being in a position where that injury is a big deal kind of says a lot in terms of where their blue line is like that. should He should be very much a complimentary player and he's had to be more than that. Um, at that time of the Timothy Lilligren injury, that seemed like a big Coupled deal with Lilligren, though. Like, yeah. I don't think Giordano injury is a big deal if Lilligren's healthy. But no, but now you're looking yeah. at th- they have three defensemen they trust right now, realistically. And I want to give Jake McCabe some credit because he was not good out of the gate. But since he's been back from injury, he's looked significantly better. So, you know, you feel good about Riley Brody. You know, Brody's had some dicey games lately, but generally do. McCabe is good. But then, you know, obviously Klingberg being in the situation he's in, which is up in the air and you don't really think you're going to see him again, at least not for the foreseeable future. That's where you worry about the Maple Leafs is like, can they put together a functional blue line? Because right now you're going to rely on guys that have dubious track records, guys, you know, Connor Timmons doesn't have much of a track record. He hasn't looked great since coming back. You know, Simon Benoit is actually been better than you'd expect, but not the kind of guy you want to lean on, Logason. Like for them to take the step out of good team that is going to kind of work its way to the playoffs to team that other teams would have to worry about there has to be a move there. I guess, I guess the ultimate question for them kind of tying those two things together is one, how much of their general play and numbers that you reference, is it really just because Matthews and Marner need to play better? And I would argue a lot because not only are they really important players for the team, but they also log massive minutes. Like both of them are in the top 10 in average forward time on ice per game. Like they trust, like not only do they count on those guys for a lot, but they count on them in heavy minutes. So those guys playing a lot, and also not doing well in those minutes that they're playing a lot is a huge, I think, domino effect to everything. And then that really just leaves them, you know, those two guys sorting it out and playing better and to the expectations that they've set and everyone set for them and that they've earned really just leaves them in the spot that I think we all thought they'd be in, in which case they they need to add to their defense. I don't think anyone went into the season looking at that team saying that's it that defense is set. They don't have to do anything. Like, I think they were always at the point where everyone looked at the roster. They need at least one top four defenseman. How much more do they need? Do they need two is a real question at this point. Maybe not top four, but do they need a top four defenseman and like a quality third pairing guy kind of thing. But, you know, a few weeks ago they added Bobby McMahon to the fourth line and sat Ryan Reeves. And it was the first time I looked at their team and went, that's a four line team. 
And, yeah. and the third line too, I think impo- like bringing Nick Robertson up has made a huge yeah. difference. Like he, and we know he's had injury troubles and it's hard to say, Oh, over the course of the whole season, he'll make a difference in the playoffs. But for the first time moving Domi inside and getting Robertson on that line, like this is a credible scoring threat from the bottom six, which has been a massive problem for the Leafs for years, to be honest. And like, you know, because their cap situation, it's hard for them to afford quality bottom six forwards and put together those lines that work. And that line has some defensive issues to be sure, but is one of the more encouraging groups we've seen in terms of the offensive threat it can provide, you know, in some of those games where a Marner Matthews pairing doesn't get going or for whatever reason, or as is the case recently, William Nylander hits like 14 posts. Like you do sometimes need your bottom six to pick you up. And the Maple Leafs now with that group, look a little bit more like a team that can have that happen, especially if they sit Reeves and have a camp Gregor McMahon type of fourth line that could chip in the odd goal. And they were legit. And the third line to your point was the first time where, you know, when that trio was united prior to that, I sat there and looked at them in essentially the third line and thought to myself, like, what exactly do you do here? Because you're not good enough defensively and you're not good enough offensively. But with Robertson and and Domi going back to center, which is where he should play, it's a scoring line. Like, and that's fine. You your third line can be a checking line or it can be a scoring line, but it can't be neither. Like it has to be one of the two. And so the scoring line either adds secondary scoring to support your top guys, or it's a checking line that takes off some of the pressure from your top guys. But you can't be when you're a middling third line, I think that's the worst spot to be. So just the fact that they have a utility that everybody understands. I think you can work with that. So all that to say is, is again, Matthews and Marner figuring it out. And I think a lot, I think there's a few things going on there. One, they're used to having a digger on their line and they don't have that anymore. Matthew Nyes is a rookie. He's still very much figuring out the league. It's, it's not a shot at him at all. I think expecting a rookie to go in and dig for, two established stars that are getting paid a ton of money and to set the table for them is an unreasonable thing to do. And Nyes doesn't exactly play to that profile. Like he himself is a more of a skill player. He's not someone that um, you look at and just say like your primary job is to be F1 on the four check and to go to the net. Like he too wants to make plays. So I think he's kind of caught in a little bit of a, a weird spot. And like, also like those guys just need to do more. I mean, Marner's just struggling to break out. Matthews is just not instilling his will on games. And, you know, he is the highest paid player in the league. And part of that pressure comes like with, when you hop over the boards, you need to do things. And, you know, you were just in the, in the rank for the game last night when he hopped over the boards, did you ever feel it? Cause I've seen, tons of top players when you know when McKinnon's going when McDavid's going and and that's the category he himself has classed him put himself in when those guys hop the boards when they're playing like you feel it in the arena like everyone knows that they're on the ice and something is going to happen and and it's just not happening I think where fans are frustrated right now is watching those guys play so much because if you were just watching raw last night, and I don't know if you were how much you had stats going on or how you watch, were you sitting there going the Leafs three best forwards were Matthews, Marner and Nylander? I mean, no. And I think Nylander, he had some chances, but they so played the most a very different game, but, but they played the most, right? Like For those sure. three guys yeah. led their forwards in ice time and they were not the three best forwards. And to your point, Nylander hit some posts and he was generally dangerous. It's not to like slag his game or anything. I just don't think anyone was watching it going, 
those were their three best players. I don't think anyone was watching the first 17 games saying Marner was better than Nylander, but Marner was playing more than him every night. So I think that's where fans get frustrated. Like, why are these guys playing so much? And then it devolves into other conversations when in reality, if like those guys just play the way that they are capable of, I think a lot of it kind of just smooths out for their team. Yeah. The reality here is that this, there's an enormous amount of proof of concept that this core group of forwards can get you through a regular season, can get you enough points to make the playoffs can, you know, a hundred point plus seasons. Like, and I don't think there's a real reason to believe that can't happen again, especially if they get a little healthier on the blue line and maybe make some additions. The question, as always, is going to be, you know, what is the group going to do in the playoffs? And I think it's fair to say that so far they haven't done anything to make Maple Leafs fans believe that it's going to be a different situation. That doesn't mean that it can't be or it won't be, but nothing in this first quarter of the season says, oh, this Maple Leafs team is different. Anthony, sometimes on the show, we kind of tackle a little bit more abstract philosophical topics. And something that got me thinking this week is the idea of sort of goaltending and the relationship between, you know, team defensive success and the success we see between the pipes. And everyone knows, like no one doesn't think that's important. But at the same time, I think a lot of times people are looking at individual goalies and it's like, that guy's got a crazy save percentage. You know, that's going to, and I, you know, I've been guilty of this to some extent as well, for sure. A lot of people have, but like, oh, that's going to regress or this team's getting the saves. This team's not getting the saves. When we know the team play plays a huge role in, and this is an interesting moment for that. I was looking at the top 15 goalies this season by save percentage and eight of them come from four teams like it's the tandem in Boston it's the tandem in Vegas and it's the two goalies for both the Islanders and the Rangers and and that includes some goaltenders that I wouldn't classify as elite like Jonathan Quick is the guy who stands out to me right like Jonathan Quick was someone I would have told you was washed like two years ago and you know here he is playing for this New York Rangers squad that plays very strong defensive hockey and suddenly his results are way better and I just want to get your take on how we look at goaltending and just whether we're not paying enough attention to team defense, which, to be fair, is a pretty hard thing to track unless you're like really zeroing in and watching every single game an individual team plays. Yeah, I think I think it's just lazy analysis to pull out a save percentage. It's the same way people pull up a chart about player X and say he's bad. Like you need to contextualize everything that's happening and the environment that they're in, right? I think we see a lot with players when they go from really poor teams to good teams and we see their roles change and people suddenly say, oh, this player is actually pretty good at hockey. Yes, it's hard to evaluate certain stylistic players on really bad teams. Like traditionally defensive defensemen are going to look terrible on a bad hockey team because that team already sucks and they can't move the puck that well. Like that's not what they're good at, but they can fill a utility on a good team I think with goalies not only do we see it in terms of the environment around them so Jack Campbell for example in his contract year with the Leafs I thought the Leafs did a really good job of creating an environment in which he can thrive in it right like they they were really good defensively they were really committed to it they didn't ask him to do a ton even though he was having a great save percentage if you watched a lot of their games that year it wasn't because Campbell was making 10 bell saves it was because the Leafs made it a really comfortable place to be a goalie. And then we saw them walk, you know, say goodbye to him. And they add in Ilya Samsonov, who again, kind of, you know, iffy career to that point. And then he had a really good season and 
again, I don't think that's coincidence. Last year in the playoffs, Derek Lalonde made headlines on Hockey Night in Canada because he was talking about how... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Tampa overhauled their defensive system in order to facilitate Andre Vasilevsky's strengths and weaknesses and those seeing eye point shots and how they kind of changed things up because they identified that as an area that he struggles in. So I think teams often play a larger role in terms of how they support their goalies. There's very few teams. The best goalies are the ones where it's like, you just go save the puck. You know, it's like a left tackle in football. Like we're not, we're not planning for anything. Like you're going to go against their best pass rusher. And like, that's it. Like we're like, we're going to worry about the rest of our things. There's very few goalies in the league that can do that now. And so for everyone else that like mushy middle of guys it's really about how their team supports. I think another good example would be John Gibson in Anaheim, who by save percentage is having his best season in five years. And like, did he sudden, and you know, he was openly available and a lot of teams were kind of down on him and, and he looks solid right now on an Anaheim team that for the first time can draw the neutral zone on a map in like almost half a decade. And, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and egg where, you need to have a team that knows how to play hockey and, and a level of defense and a level of puck possession in order to facilitate for your goaltender. So I think we see tons of proof of it all the time. Just people don't want to dive deep into why a goalie struggling or succeeding. Yeah. I'm glad that you made the first sort of cross sports metaphor, because I feel like I'm guilty of doing that a lot when we talk. So I'm <laughs> going to make a second one. I feel like when we look at goaltenders, we probably need to do a better job of treating it a little bit like F1, where it's like, okay, this is the car the guy has. How is he doing compared to his teammate? Like this season, Fernando Alonso, incredible year. Lance Stroll did pretty much nothing. You know, the Canadian Nepo baby couldn't get it done. And it's like, oh, that is indicative of the idea that like, oh, Fernando Alonso is a former champion. He's awesome. He made a car that has up and down sing. Stroll is not a great talent. That's reflective in the results. And so when we look at goaltenders, we should probably do more of a job like, oh, like, let's look at what the other goaltenders on the team are also doing under the same defensive circumstances, especially in this era where goaltender playing time is more even. So we're not having that crazy like 65 game, 17 game where one of them would have a very small sample size. Now a lot of them are playing fairly equally to each other. So it's more fair to make those comparisons. And it's probably wise to be more impressed by guys who are doing really well in a context when their backup, especially if their backup has some talent, is doing poorly. Toronto is a bit of an example right now. Like Joseph Wool has performed really well and you know Samsonov has been lost. Now I think there's a lot going on with Samsonov beyond how the Maple Leafs have played defensively. Like he's having his own struggles, like he's over committing, like his movements are off. He's had some mental, there's a mental component to all of that, but the Maple Leafs have not, you know, you talked about the Maple Leafs making it easy on their goaltending in the past. I don't think they've done that this year. And as a result, yeah. we should feel like Joseph Wool deserves more credit. 
but it's not the way that we often look at it. I think it's something that we should try and keep in mind in the future. And again, like I'm putting myself in this category too, because it is not easy to rigorously analyze every single team defensively. Like there's only so much time in the day and there's 32 teams in the league. Like it's very difficult to do. And so this is a heuristic, I think is going to be valuable for people to keep in mind, especially as we see more of these 1A, 1B tandems in the league. Yeah, I think we saw it too with Florida last year, right? Like all of their underlying numbers were good and they were a good team throughout the season and their save percentage was terrible. Like Bob was not good and Lyon went in towards the end and, you know, the prevailing is, oh, he got hot and he did some degree. I'm not trying to just diminish that, but Florida was a really good team and they just needed a goalie to be solid and he finally was. And then once Bob actually started playing well again, they went to the Stanley Cup finals. It's like, yeah, that's... There, I think there was a lot of, much like Samson off this year, I think there's a lot of evidence with Bob last year. It was just like, he's actively not playing well. That's on him. Is he better than this? Yes. And they saw it. So I think so much of that goes into goaltending. I also think there's goalies that um, do better, whether they're getting a ton of shots or not getting a ton of shots, right? Like some goalies are more into the game when their team is actively getting outplayed and they're seeing a lot of pucks and some goalies we see really struggle when that burden is put on them and vice versa. We see some goalies that struggle when they're only seeing, you know, five shots on net a period. And it's a, it's a different mentality in those games, right? Like you have to keep yourself engaged because the pucks often on the other end of the ice and you're just sitting in the crease by yourself. So there's so many different mental components. And and the more you talk to goalie people, goalie coaches, goalie specialists, consultants whatever it is academies uh they're all they're the first thing they're all usually talking about is the environment around them the the team and how they play and how they need to adjust certain things and uh samsonoff right now is just as going back to that example and, and you talked about how over aggressive he's been like he's just losing his net right and that's traditionally where we've seen goalies that have gone in net for the leafs get into trouble petter morazic was the same way it's like when you're swimming with that team, it just looks way worse. Joseph Wall, he's doing is being big. All Jack Campbell was doing was being big. They're not making 10 bell saves. They're just getting in the way and, you know, economical movements. Like that's what's thrived in their, in their net as an example. And so we just see it all the time. It's really uh, the talent again is obviously it's critical, but there's so many mushy guys beyond the few elite where it's really it comes down to so many other factors. On this show, we're rarely going to take time to give a lot of praise to teams that are hovering around 500. But sometimes a situation calls for that. And Anthony, I know that you've been dying to give John Tortorella his flowers based on how his Philadelphia Flyers are performing so far this season. Yeah, I think it's a great story. I think a lot of times when people talk about hockey, we kind of lose this sort of team component and how things build on each other. And to me, I know we often hear just mainstream media, and I think it's because it's such a big sport that football is the ultimate team game. But to me, it's it actually is hockey. And that's because and it's not to get into a big debate about the sports, but just the flow of a hockey game and how lines have to build off of each other and how free flowing the sport is, is there's so many little team oriented things that, build into whether a team is successful or not and whether they have four lines and whether they have three D pairings, whether the goalie and everything is so interconnected in such a loose, fluid, high paced 
sport that you just need everything clicking all the time. So I think back to things last year, like Kevin Hayes leading their team in scoring and towards healthy scratched him because he just wasn't playing good defense. And it was something that received so much criticism at the time. Like, I think he was their all-star nominee and uh, it got so much heat. And I wish we saw more coaches do this kind of thing where one, the Flyers sucked last year and everyone knew it. And his goal was to say, I don't really care how many points you get. We have a standard of how we play, especially in our own end, which is the most important thing to us. And you're not doing it. And so I don't really care who you are, or how many points you have. You take a seat. I'm sure at that point he had spoken to him multiple times. I'm sure Torts didn't walk in. And by all indications of the reports and how he kind of framed it, I don't think he just walked in cold turkey one day and said, you're sitting. I guarantee you they spoke about it multiple times. And that was a guy going, I'm leading our team in points. I'm going to do what I'm doing because it's working for me statistically. And he said, take a seat. And that's such a team standard that he's setting for a young team of how to build things out. And you talk about them, you know, being a 500 team, but you look at a lot of their underlying numbers, like they're a top 10 possession team. Like they actively, it's not, they're on a hot streak. It's they're actually just working hard and controlling play. I think they're one of the most fun teams in the league this year to watch. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point about like a lot of times you'll see an overachieving team and it's easy to pin that on, you know, crazy shooting, a hot power play, a goalie that gets on a run. Like they are fundamentally playing very strong hockey. And sometimes it's overly simplistic the way we talk about coaches. We just go, here was the expectation. Here's the results. How good is the coach? But through that lens, like you do have to give Tortorella a lot of credit. Like this is a roster that no one saw going anywhere. I know they were getting Couturier back and Atkinson back, but those were older guys coming off significant injuries. And no one thought they were going anywhere. People thought that this was like the perfect team for Mitchkov because they would he would stay in Russia and they would be dreadful and they would get these massive high draft picks and they'd build this core. And that could still happen to an extent. But they're playing again, just the organized, the discipline, the defensive work, the, the quality of the hockey playing is so good. And you can see, you can see, like you can see the cracks in it if you're looking for it, right? Like this is a team that when they score first are really, or are heading games are really good at protecting leads. They have a terrible record when the other team scores first. Like they do lack firepower. There's no player yeah, on the lack, team with more lack skill with more than 16 points this season. And, you know, like there's, they have some depth, like they have guys on different lines doing things, but like, if you're looking at the top of this lineup, if you're looking at the greatest threats they possess, it doesn't, it doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand up to the other top teams in the Eastern conference or in the NHL, but we knew that we knew all of that coming in and Tortorella deserves so much praise for getting these guys motivated, getting them going, getting them playing this high quality brand of quality uh grand of hockey and maximizing what they have to give like this what you're seeing now is pretty much the best these guys can do and i don't mean that as some insult but like that's a coach's job is to get the guys to give the most they have to give and he's absolutely doing that yeah i'm not going to sit here and say they're a great team because they're not and you kind of pointed out you know they struggle when they're down and that's because they obviously lack firepower and scoring depth and all these things but you know, I've watched them play a ton this year and every single time I've come away and just said that team worked their bags off. Like they, they you know, I've never watched them and said, wow, like what are they doing? Or I, I sit there and say 110 maximum effort. I have all day for teams like that. I think this is the kind of sport again, because it's so 
it's so fluid. It's it's hard to look at baseball on a you know consistent basis and say, and I'm not saying they're not working hard. I'm just saying it's harder to kind of see that coming out in the flow of play because it's so stop and start, right? Like it'll be the, you know, occasional base running and, you know, defensive play and things of that. But a lot of it is very much uh routine, you know, pitch and a swing and we'll see what happens and so on hockey. It's so action packed and fast paced. And there's so much happening all the time that you just, you really appreciate the flyers kind of getting into a, a role and just giving it, and maximizing as you know look at their look at their offseason they got rid of Provorov who you know love him or hate him he was a big minute defenseman Travis Sandheim was very much readily available no one paid the price they got rid of Hayes they lost JVR who had 17 goals from last year like they lost legitimate veterans that were skilled and could produce to some degree and you know they promoted some young players they added like Garnet Hathaway and they just work. And I think those are the things as a, as a coach, you can control like torts can't control how skilled their team is. Like that's not on him. Like he's not building, you know, he's not building it from the GM side, but he can't control their effort. He can't control how they check. He can control how they play defense. He can't control how they forecheck all these things. So I think you look at them and say, yeah, I don't know if they're going to hang on to the playoff spot, but one, the fact that they're already, they're still in it a quarter of the way in and no one's like shooting the lights out or going crazy on their team is, is a real testament to them. And two, like they're building something here. Like they, like they're not going to be a problem this year per se, but if they keep on this track, like they're, they're going to be a good team. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.